The Ohio primary is today, and there's been a big last-minute twist. Last night, Politico leaked what appears to be a draft Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Regardless of where you fall on abortion, multiple polls show most Americans don't want Roe to be completely thrown out. So what kind of effect, if any, will the leak have on this month's primaries? We'll get into it, but first, throughout months of campaigning and rallies, there's been one unofficial candidate on the ballot. We don't want a circumstance where the establishment could claim that they defeated Trump. So President Trump's brand is on the line, the MAGA brand is on the line, and we couldn't be prouder that J.D. Vance is a standard bearer for our movement. That was Representative Matt Gates, a Republican in Florida, stumping for Trump's endorsed candidate for the Ohio Senate, J.D. Vance. Today's primary is just the first of many litmus tests for the former president's influence on the Republican Party. According to the New York Times, at least 40 Republican primaries in May will include a Trump-endorsed candidate. So what's at stake for the GOP during this midterm election cycle? How will Trump's Republican candidates fare at the polls? And what will the outcome of those races mean for the Republican Party? We have a lot to cover after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com 1A and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. We're breaking down the Ohio primaries and what they could mean for the Republican Party. Joining us now is Gabby Orr with CNN. She just got back from a reporting trip there and she joins us now. Gabby, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. So before we get into the Ohio Senate race, I want to just ask what you've heard from voters in Ohio while you were there over the weekend. How much did the Supreme Court's decision on Roe v. Wade seem to be on voters' minds? Well, interestingly, not a single voter that I talked to mentioned abortion as a top of line issue for them um, as they're thinking about who to support in the primary and uh, ultimately who will who they'll support in the general election this November. Um, of course, you know, I was there yesterday and Sunday before this bombshell report by Politico came out last night. So I'm sure that there are some who um, may be thinking about this topic and what this could mean for either themselves or people they know. And that could certainly become a factor uh, as they go to the ballot boxes today. Right. It's important Um, to note Ohio is a state where if Roe v. Wade is overturned, there is a bill in place that would trigger an abortion ban. So how much do you think the draft opinion could affect the outcome of today's primary? You know, I think I think we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, there are uh, four candidates running in this race uh, that are very, very much neck and neck. And none of them have been running on the matter of abortion. Um, Almost all of them have been running on topics like immigration and inflation and the economy. And that's primarily what was brought up to me in my conversations with voters yesterday. You know, as I was driving around Ohio, uh, I was noticing that in some places gas was over $4.50 a gallon. And I talked to several voters who kept bringing that up and just talking about the toll that that's taking on their families' financials. And so I I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, 
at the end of the day, the economy will continue to be top of mind um, heading into November. But again, this is uh, this was a very unexpected uh, leak last night and one that could certainly have major uh, ramifications for Republicans if it does sort of galvanize um, pro-abortion uh, Democrats heading into the midterms. Well, let's get into the candidates. According to a Fox News poll, J.D. Vance is the favored GOP candidate to run for the Senate seat in November. And some may recognize his name from reading his memoir, Hillbilly Elegy. He's running against six other candidates. What are the key issues he's running on? He has made immigration probably the biggest uh, topic that he's running on. And while that might seem a little strange uh, in an Ohio Senate primary because it's not a border state or anything like that, um, he's he's sort of connecting it to uh, the influx of crime that we've seen across the country and also uh, the flow of illicit drugs into the United States. And that's something that, you know, not only has he dealt with personally, um, as he writes in his memoir about, you know, having a mother who was addicted to drugs growing up, but uh, it's, it's an issue that a lot of voters who I spoke with consistently brought up in our conversations. Uh, I spoke to a couple yesterday who was at a Vance event. They were still undecided. Uh, They were trying to uh, hear more about what he had to say and figure out if they wanted to vote for him or for Matt Dolan. Um, But they were talking about their grandkids who are in a school in uh, uh, Franklin County, Ohio, and have been, you know, offered drugs on multiple occasions and are um, not even 10 years old. And so to them, that was a major issue. And it's something that they really resonated with when they heard Vance speak about it. Um, but he's also talked about uh, so-called election integrity, um, the 2020 election being stolen, um, as he claims. And, you know, that's been an issue that has been brought up by nearly every Republican running in this race. Uh, Josh Mandel, Jane Timpkin, um, people who have dropped out, Bernie Marino. I mean, in order to gain the support of voters who uh, backed Donald Trump in 2016. Um, That has been a litmus test for them and uh, definitely something that's been hot on the campaign trail in Ohio. Has the issue of prescription drugs come up in, in the race at all? Um, It has from time to time. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a feature of any of the stump speeches that I heard yesterday. Um, But there uh, there were some voters who who mentioned the cost of prescription drugs as one issue for them. Um, I did speak with a woman um, at a Matt Dolan event who um, was complaining about the cost of her heart medication. And uh, I, I did not get the sense that that was going to be the ultimate deciding factor for her, you know, paying attention to how closely these candidates have talked about prescription drugs. But that's not to say that um, it isn't an issue that many voters in the state are paying attention to. Well, and let me be a little more clear. When we're hearing these uh, these candidates talk about illicit drugs, are they connecting that to opioids, to prescription opioids at all? Or are they just talking about drugs that could be coming over the border? For the most part, they are connecting it to immigration. Um, But there were certainly voters who mentioned uh, the opioid epidemic. I mean, these are voters in Ohio. This is a state that has been um, ravaged by uh, opioid addiction in many parts. And uh, so it's definitely something that Uh, sort of brings together two issues that are important to them. Um, Undocumented immigration on one hand, um, you know, they're citing things like cartels. And um, on the other hand, uh, the opioid epidemic in their home state. What do we know about why Trump endorsed Vance? 
So this was really due to a heavy pressure campaign by a number of Trump allies. Um, I'm told based on my conversations with Trump advisors and sources who are close to the former president that it was a very difficult decision for him to make. Uh, He met with nearly every candidate running in this Senate primary. Uh, There were a few that he did get along with pretty well, uh, Vance included. But at the end of the day, he was hesitant to jump in because the polling has been so unpredictable. There really hasn't been any sort of we haven't seen voters coalesce behind one Republican candidate. And even now with, you know, the Fox News poll that we saw last week, uh, Vance is only up, I believe, by four percentage points over Matt Dolan, who uh, sort of last minute surge was also an unexpected feature of this primary. Um, But at the end of the day, he he uh, had many conversations, I'm told, with uh, folks like Senator Hawley from Missouri, who is a big J.D. Vance fan, um, Tucker Carlson, the uh, Fox News host, uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, a conservative commentator. And, and both Kirk and Hawley were on the campaign trail with Vance yesterday, um, trying to sort of use their connections to a lot of these voters and use their influence to uh, pull in people who might might have still been on the fence. Well, we should note that uh, according to Fox News, Vance jumped from 11 percent of likely voters in March to 23 percent as of April 28th, and that's after Trump endorsed him. But the conservative group Club for Growth recently released an ad attacking Trump's decision to endorse Vance. And this is the same group that's guided the former president and, and supplied counsel to him on other important races. Why do they seem to be switching course here? Yeah, it's been a really interesting feature of this race, seeing the Club for Growth go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump. Um, when Donald Trump decided to endorse J.D. Vance, it effectively destroyed the relationship that he had with the Club for Growth. And that's that's sort of a major development because he had grown very close to David McIntosh, the president of the Club for Growth. Um, he'd met with David several times down at Mar-a-Lago. He was taking his counsel on other congressional and Senate races as to who to endorse. And they had really teamed up um, in contests to promote the same candidates. You know, North Carolina, they are both behind Ted Budd. Uh, They had previously both been behind Mo Brooks in Alabama before Trump uh, withdrew that endorsement. Um, So it it has pitted uh, the former president against the Club for Growth. And it's... uh, It's really turned this race nasty in the last week and a half um, since Trump's endorsement was made. I mean, the club has gone up with several ads uh, continuing to underscore J.D. Vance's former criticism of not only Donald Trump, but of Trump supporters as well. And in many cases, these ads do seem to be effective. You know, I talked to a woman yesterday, Janet Schertzinger. She's a voter from Columbus, Ohio. She came to the J.D. Vance event because she really did like the Hillbilly Elegy author. She had read his book. She was a big fan um, and she had planned to vote for him today. But on Sunday, she saw she saw an ad uh, run by uh, Vance's opponents that highlighted his ties to Silicon Valley. And she said that that was sort of a last minute red flag to her. And she wanted to hear more and, and see what his explanation was. Both Pennsylvania and Georgia also have major primary races this month. Could Ohio's results be a bellwether for other key congressional and state races, especially considering the news about Roe v. Wade? Uh, absolutely. I think if uh, the Trump-backed candidate in this race, J.D. Vance, does not pull off a victory tonight, um, that will have an impact on how 
some of Trump's supporters vote in these primaries happening later in May. And also joining us is Allison Dagnus. She's a professor of political science at Shippensburg University. Great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Also with us, Sarah Longwell. She's the founder of the Republican Accountability Project and has been conducting a series of voter focus groups centered on the midterms. Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Gabby, what's at stake for the Republican Party during these midterms? Well, I think there's a couple of of things at stake here. You know, number one, um, these midterms are really going to give us a glimpse into um, the direction of the Republican Party moving forward. Is this a party of that is beholden to Donald Trump or is it a party that is still capable of thinking uh, and voting independently of the former president? Is it capable of breaking free of sort of the hold that he's had um, over the party both during and since leaving office? Um, And second, you know, I think that this is going to give us um, a window into whether some of the gains that we saw in the 2020 cycle with uh, non-traditional Republican voters, um, you know, in in some of the states where uh, Hispanics moved heavily toward the Republican Party um, and uh, non-college educated white women, if those are going to hold or if the Republican Party has become so... um, uh, sympathetic to to fringe fing- fr- figures and fringe positions that um, those gains have all disappeared uh, by the time no- the November ac- elections roll around. Allison, how have those stakes shifted some now that there's this leaked draft of the Supreme Court decision indicating Roe v. Wade will more than likely be overturned? Well, I think that this um, bombshell uh, reporting that Politico did last night um, really changed the game in terms of the states where there are uh, high impact governor's races. I mean, particularly my own state of Pennsylvania, um, where we are one of a small handful of states that does not have any kind of abortion law already on the books. And that makes having a governor who is either in line with our steadfastly Republican state legislature, either somebody who will be a bulwark, um, you know, no pun intended for um, Ms. Longwell, um, against having a pro-life state or, um, you know, someone who will try and uphold a a more pro-choice stand. Um, Not only is it Pennsylvania, but also Arizona, where there's another very, very, you know, hot Senate race. Georgia, again, another hot Senate race, but also Michigan and Wisconsin, where there's another hot Senate race. So I think that this may not add gasoline to the fires of the Senate races, but this really does um, add a lot of attention to the governor's races. Um, I think it's going to pour gasoline on our existing polarization, which is a huge problem. It's going to add corrosion to the distrust of institutions, which is already problematic. Um, Perhaps it will help with some get out the vote efforts on the Democratic side. But in the main, I just see it as a massive disruptor and um, and something that's really going to, I think, add to some very harsh discourse. Well, you mentioned Pennsylvania. The Democratic governor there, Tom Wolf, uh, has come out and said that, quote, abortion will remain legal in that state. Sarah, I want to turn back to Ohio because you were recently there doing focus groups with voters. And I want us to listen to a clip from your podcast, The Focus Group. Uh, these are undecided voters talking about how much Trump's endorsement of candidate J.D. Vance matters to them. Just because, you know, Trump is supported to Vance, it doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily vote for him. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me as far as it's not going to make me like go from 
hating someone to not hating them just because they're endorsed by someone else by any means. I get the whole backing of a candidate, but show me what you are about, not what Trump thinks you're about. Sarah, how much weight did Trump's endorsement seem to carry with with the voters you talked to? Look, they were telling us that it didn't matter that much to them. But I, uh, I think it it does matter somewhat. I mean, you J.D. Vance was running kind of a sad fourth place through much of this race, and he has now been lifted into first place. And I think one of the things that happened is one of the main uh, prosecutions against Vance was that he was the anti-Trump guy, that in 2016, he was a never-Trumper just like me. They have all these clips of him. Club for Growth was just hitting him and hitting him with old comments where he was saying, I don't know, I might have to support Hillary Clinton. That stuff's devastating in a GOP primary. But for Donald Trump to come in and say, no, actually, he's my guy, that that sort of takes that off the table in a major way. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, about the, the primaries in general that's a little bit contrary to others who are kind of looking race to race to see, well, how much does Donald Trump's endorsement uh, matter? Uh, at the end of the day, all across the country, in these GOP primaries, the candidates are MAGA, 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 all the way down. In this Ohio race, there was only one candidate. And actually, it's the most interesting thing to me about this primary race. The fact that Matt Dolan has had this late surge, he's the only one in that field who didn't... Um, you know, chase the Trump endorsement really hard. Uh, now, he's not running as an anti-Trump candidate by any means. He's, you know, means he's running as a rock-ribbed conservative, but he's just not trying to. Everybody else, I mean, if you watch primary debates among Republicans in Pennsylvania, Ohio, even, even, even in Georgia, right, Trump may not have endorsed these all these candidates, but they all endorse him. Uh, I, I see yeah. Allison nodding as you're talking. And Allison, I, I want to hear your thoughts about uh, what Sarah's saying there. Oh, I, I mean, she's absolutely right. I, I put um, all of our candidates into Trumpy, Trumpier, Trumpiest. Uh, and the day after former President Trump endorsed Dr. Oz, his one of his primary opponents, um, uh, McCormick, put out an ad where he's on a motorcycle and he's riding with a whole bunch of guys and they end up in front of this huge Trump banner. And so it is not, you know, this anti-Trump thing. It's like, no, no, we still love the guy. Like everybody is really, really embracing him. And so the idea that, you know, that Dolan is is anything but very Trumpy is um, is kind of amazing. Um, but and yet he's carved out for himself maybe a little bit of a lane in this. If you have to hold your nose and vote for somebody who's not quite, you know, the full, I love this man and I want to have his MAGA babies candidate, like maybe vote for Dolan in Ohio and that'll be good enough kind of thing. Well, last weekend, Trump attended a rally in Nebraska and said this about his endorsements. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? J.D. Mandel. And he's doing great. They're all doing good. What do we know about Dr. Oz's platform? And we should say that in that uh, clip, Trump referred to a J.D. Mandel, who's not a candidate. Mandel is the last name of Josh Mandel. That's another Republican candidate running in Ohio. But first, well, let's just start with our Dr. Oz and J.D. Vance actually doing great at this point. Gabby? Well, J.D. 
definitely uh, gained momentum from the Trump endorsement, as you know, you and Sarah both mentioned. Um, and he does seem uh, poised to sort of eke out a win later tonight. Uh, Oz hasn't seen the boost that J.D. Vance has um, in his own race in Pennsylvania. Uh, he's still, you know, based on recent polling, um, running fairly neck and neck with uh, David McCormick. And I think the reason for that in some ways, is similar to uh, the issue that Vance has had with his own uh, voters in Ohio, and that's an authenticity problem. Um, A lot of voters who have watched Dr. Oz over the years on television and have become familiar with past positions that he's held um, that, you know, the McCormick campaign have highlighted are having trouble uh, believing that he's truly aligned with this, you know, America first agenda that President Trump claims uh, he he's committed to, um, and that's the same issue that you've seen in Ohio with JD Vance. And yet, um, because Ohio, I believe, is somewhat of a redder state at this point than Pennsylvania, it doesn't seem to have caused as many problems in terms of allowing Vance to connect with voters post Trump endorsement. Um, but uh, you know, going back to Pennsylvania, I mean, people do have a tough time believing that Dr. Oz is genuinely uh, against abortion, and that could potentially hurt him with Republican turnout in a midterm contest if he does become the nominee there. Um, they have a hard time believing that he is truly um, hawkish on China and that he, you know, understands issues. Um, Relating to economics and bringing back American manufacturing. And uh, so I do think that that's a much tougher contest in Pennsylvania than we've seen in Ohio uh, in many ways. And uh, Trump's really going to have to do a lot of work to carry Oz over the finish line. Uh, We haven't seen him do a rally there. I know he just scheduled one um, for mid-May and will be on the ground there trying to sort of rally his supporters behind Dr. Oz. But um, in in Ohio, he's, you know, taped a couple of videos. He did a tele- town hall last night. He's done a couple of robocalls. Uh, I think he's going to have to do that times 50 in order to help Dr. Oz over the finish line in the May primary. We're discussing the midterms and the GOP. We'll hear more from you and our guests in a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Let's get back to our conversation on the midterms and the Republican Party. You know, one of the common things among Trump-endorsed candidates is their belief in the big lie, that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. And in Ohio, there's only one Republican candidate out of seven who rejects the former president's falsehoods. Allison, how are you seeing that lie play out in your state? Um, it is the litmus test by which all Republican candidates have to pass in order to go forward. Um, and one of our um, governor's uh, gubernatorial candidates who is doing very well, Doug Mastriano, um, is not only one of the greatest supporters of the big lie, he also rented buses to go to the Capitol on January 6th to bring his constituents there. So um, we are steeped in this uh, across the state. And we are well known for having cities on on two sides of Pennsylvania and what James Carville referred to as Alabama in the middle. Um, And we are a very rural part of uh, where I am is very rural part of Pennsylvania. But really, uh, across the state, this is just the new um, the new normal is just you have to say that Joe Biden lost and it was stolen from Donald Trump or else you cannot go further in the party. 
Well, you mentioned Doug Mastriano, and, and recent reporting from the Philadelphia Inquirer shows some party insiders trying to force him out of the race. Those primaries are in two weeks. How much will do you think there is, Allison, within the Republican Party to oppose those lies and reclaim their party absent Trump? Oh, none. Um, yeah, there's absolutely no will to do that whatsoever. Um, and I'm not sure that uh, that they will be able to force Mastriano um, anywhere. Uh, I think there's a better than you know, even chance that he's going to win the the primary. Um, His closest competition is a former congressman, Lou Barletta, um, who also has, you know, warmly embraced not only former President Trump, but also the big lie. Um, And then, you know, there are these sort of also rands who are trying as hard as they can to to come close to these two gentlemen. Um, And the truth is that uh, you have to just pledge fealty not only to whatever it is that Donald Trump says, but whatever lie it is that he demands. And there's no other way around it. Let's turn to a voicemail we got from Mike in Atlanta, who says he used to vote Republican. My name is Mike. I'm a public high school teacher in an affluent community in North Atlanta, Georgia. And pretty much everyone I've talked to, 70% of the community where I teach, I would say thinks that Trump's profligation of the big lie that the election was stolen is really patently absurd. Here in Georgia, I think 70 or 80% of the people trusted the election, whether they were Republican or Democrat. And so I think he only hurts the Republican Party in Georgia. And as a former Republican voter uh, in the pre-Trump era, I think he has absolutely annihilated the Republican Party. Now, we heard Mike there say he he thinks about 70 percent of the, the community where he lives thinks that the spread of of the lie that the election was stolen is absurd. But Sarah, you've been doing focus groups with voters across the political spectrum. And as you've said earlier, you've found the opposite to be true, namely that 70 percent of Republican voters believe the election was stolen, which, of course, is not true. But what does that say to you about where Republican voters priorities are right now? I mean, the key part of that voicemail was he says he's in an affluent part outside of Atlanta, right? So these are college-educated suburban voters, and they make up a large chunk of either the 30% that do not believe that the election was stolen, uh, as opposed to the 70% that do. And also, many of those people are one of the reasons that Georgia in the last election, elected two Democratic senators. Um, And Republicans, I imagine, are quite frustrated with the fact that they lost two Senate seats in that state uh, because Donald Trump was telling everybody the election was rigged while they were in the middle of a runoff and that people's, you know, uh, votes don't matter. To the question of, you know, what does this mean for the Republican Party in general? um, Look, I I listen to these voters all the time. They believe a couple of things very clearly. They believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. They don't really have a lot of evidence for it. It's more of like a vibe. It's And it's to some degree, they almost hold it kind of lightly. Like they say it like, well, you know, Democrats, they cheat. Uh, you know, and it's, it's sort of just a, 
I hate Democrats and my everyone I know hates Democrats. And it's part of our culture now to say that the election was stolen, as opposed to them really having any sense of what the mechanism might be for the election being stolen. They also don't think that January 6th was in any way a big deal. Um, you know, they'll say, well, maybe it was unfortunate, but, you know, maybe it was Black Lives Matter or Antifa or why were the cops letting people in? It's been kind of mired in conspiracy theories. And this is my overall point about the 2022 midterms and Donald Trump. People are going to say from race to race, well, what does this mean for Donald Trump and the party? And the thing that the it's that's missing the forest for the trees, because the fact is Donald Trump has shifted this party so far, not right but just Trump word, just into the conspiracy MAGA world of hating Democrats, no matter what, very little policy, lots of conspiracy theories. You know, Gabby, we've been talking about the midterm primaries. We've also seen, you know, not just endorsements of of people running for state legislatures, but also quite a, or, or rather, pardon me, for, for uh, House and Senate races, but also quite a few gubernatorial candidates. And I'm curious what it means for uh, Trump's national strategy that he's getting involved in so, so many state races. Yeah, I mean, this month is going to be the biggest test yet of Donald Trump's um, status as a you know so-called kingmaker inside the Republican Party. Um, he has really put himself in a high risk position here because there are a number of primaries um, at the federal level, at the statewide level in which he's become involved. And in many of them, his candidates do not uh, appear poised to win. Um, and, it, and in fact, are trailing incumbents or um, their opponents by pretty significant margins. And so I, I do think that on the other side of this month, uh, we will either have a Republican Party that is sort of cemented in Trump's image and where the former president feels emboldened and uh, will continue to recruit and pr- prop up candidates who back his lies about the 2020 election and are committed to advancing his agenda. Um, or we will have the opposite. We'll have a moment in time where Republicans are going to have to uh, maybe do some introspection and, you know, see that if the will of the voters isn't necessarily matching up with the will of the former president, um, that maybe it is time for some other Republicans to speak out against him and um, modify their positions. Sarah, very briefly, putting on your strategist hat, what lessons do you think the Republican Party should take away from other midterms where control of the Senate was at stake? I think uh, they could look at 2010, where you had Christine O'Donnell and Sharon Angle, who were very outside mainstream candidates who came in on a Tea Party wave, knocked out incumbents to win their primary, and then went on to lose in the general election. Chris Coons, the senator from Delaware, is still there because he defeated Christine O'Donnell in a previously Republican-held seat. And I think that uh, looking across these candidates in the 2022 field, there were a lot of Christine O'Donnell types. There are a lot of people who are way outside of the mainstream and in an otherwise incredibly good year for Republicans with inflation, with crime, with a number of issues that are kind of their bread and butter, uh, they got a bunch of seats that they could lose because their candidates are too far outside the mainstream. Allison, lots of months ahead of primaries before we get to Election Day. But briefly, what will you be watching for in this month's key primary races? I am, uh, you know, everybody says that because in a primary, the voting rates are really low, that uh, the election nights will be much smoother than we saw in 2020. And so we will get elections results um, that night. And so looking forward to that. But um, 
I'm certainly still interested to see if anybody's going to challenge the results, because it certainly seems to have worked for former President Trump, um, who still has never conceded. So if anybody tries to follow in his playbook to say, nope, I didn't lose at all, see what happens there. And if it doesn't happen this time, maybe it'll happen in the in the general November. That's Allison Dagnus. She's a political science professor at Chippensburg University in Pennsylvania. Also with us, Sarah Longwell, founder of the Republican Accountability Project and host of the Bulwark podcast, The Focus Group. And CNN's Gabby Orr, who covers Republican politics and this year's midterms. Sarah, Allison, Gabby, thanks for your time. Today's producer was Sophia Alvarez-Boyd. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.